Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. A week ago, Saturday, I did an Instagram Live with Rabbi Steve Letter. He is the author of four books, including a book that I interviewed him about on my podcast called The Beauty of What Remains, What Death Teaches Us About Life. He is the senior rabbi of Wilshire Boulevard Temple, a very prestigious synagogue in Los Angeles. And I wanted to talk to Rabbi Letter about all the events with Israel and Palestine, but not so much to have any sort of political conversation, more as a way to clarify what exactly was going on and to have him explain it as if to a 13-year-old girl, and also to see what we can do to combat the spread of anti-Semitism and really hate towards any group. And he gave amazing, amazing, timely advice, and I wanted to release it as a podcast as well. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. I'm Zibby Owens, as you probably know, since you're watching my Instagram. But I am here today with Rabbi Steve Letter, and I am really excited that he offered to do an Instagram Live with me today to talk about all of the stuff that's going on in Israel and the rise in anti-Semitism and what we can all do to prevent it and help do our part to fix it. If you don't know about Rabbi Letter, I got to know him because he was on my podcast for his book, which was amazing. He's written four books. And the book we talked about the most was The Beauty of What Remains, What Death Teaches Us About Life, which by the way, you must go out and read and was amazing. He's written several other books and he is the senior rabbi at the Wilshire Boulevard Temple in LA. And I will now invite him to join me to talk about all of the news and what we can all do, how we can play our part. Thank you all so much for joining me on this beautiful Saturday. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? Hi. Hi, Zibby. So good to see you. So good to see you, too. Thanks for doing this on the weekend, on Shabbat yeah, and everything. So, well, um, it's, it's important, and I always love talking with you. Oh, thank you. Well, so much is going on right now, and I have been reposting all of your statements because I feel like you have such a great perspective on everything, as I 
realized in all your books and everything. I was hoping maybe you could start off in case there are people who think they know what's going on. They know what's going on, but maybe they don't know all the details and just give the general, how did we get here? Let's pretend there's like a 13 year old girl watching. How did we get here? And what is all the commotion about? Oh my goodness. In the well, short version. The yeah. Short version. I, I'm going to have to give a very short version and, and maybe not go back 40 years right? Because the, the roots of this conflict go back a very long way, e even in modern history. But this most recent conflagration, this most recent excuse for violence started when at the end of Ramadan, there was some rock and bottle throwing by worshipers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I think, honestly, there was some over-policing on the part of the Israelis. And that was used as an excuse and an opportunity for Hamas, which I think it's very important to point out, Hamas is recognized as a terrorist organization, not only by the United States, but by 27 countries in the European Union. Uh, it gave Hamas the opportunity to attack Israel with rockets, to whip up their base. And as has always been the Israeli policy when attacked, is to defend the people of Israel. To give a little more background about Gaza, and, and this to me is the most tragic part of the story. A friend of my son's who is Hispanic, we were together the other day, and she said, why, are, why is Israel occupying Gaza? Why are they there? And I said to her, there hasn't been an Israeli living in Gaza since 2005, when they gave it back in its entirety with working businesses to the Palestinian people to rule and run as they saw fit. They had every opportunity to become a peaceful, friendly neighbor with Israel and with Egypt. They have a seaport. They have the opportunity to trade with their neighbors. They could have done with Israel what Egypt did with Israel, what Jordan did with Israel, what the UAE has done with Israel, what Bahrain has done with Israel. They could have done that in 2005. And Israel, by the way, forcibly removed thousands of Israelis from Gaza in order to give it to the Palestinian people. Within two years, what the Palestinian people in Gaza got was Hamas. Now, I think it's very important to understand what Hamas's core mission is, okay? Hamas's core mission bankrolled by Iran. Iran's really pulling the, the puppet strings here. Their core mission is on behalf of Iran to establish an extreme fundamentalist Islamic caliphate throughout the Middle East. And the first item on the agenda in order to create that reality is the destruction of the state of Israel, is the destruction of half the Jews in the entire world. And we've heard that story before. Their core mission is not to better the lives of the Palestinian people living in Gaza. If it was, they'd be spending money on hospitals and schools and infrastructure and not on rockets and tunnels. So in my view, it's not only Israelis who are the victim of Hamas. It is the good, beautiful, peaceful, ordinary Palestinian people who have no control over their own lives because they're led by 
an oppressive terrorist organization. That's why there's been no Arab Spring in Gaza. There's been no Arab Spring because of the brutality of Hamas. So this is where we are. And somehow, some way, the media has managed, and social media, to position Israel as the Goliath and not the David in this story. Israel is a country of about 7 million, surrounded by 350 million Arabs, if not more, most of whom, unfortunately, do not want peace. Those who do want peace have achieved it. We've been at peace with Egypt. We gave the Sinai back like we gave the Gaza back. But we have peace with Egypt. We have peace with Jordan. We have peace with Bahrain. We have peace with the UAE. We have peace with Morocco. Israel is a willing partner in a peace process. Hamas is not. And that's the sad truth of it. So we're all Jews and Palestinians alike victims of of a terrorist organization. And what has happened, sadly, which I definitely want to talk with you about today because it's happened in New York where you are and in L.A. where I am, that cancerous dynamic has metastasized to America 10,000 miles away. And we have to do everything we can not to allow that to be the case. Now, I, I have some really strong feelings about that, which we can get into, but that's a basic background. There has not been an Israeli or a Jew living in Gaza since 2005. So to blame Gaza's problems on the Israelis is really quite, quite a staggering reach, in my opinion. So I feel like you're putting a lot of the responsibility on the media's depiction of what's going on. So what percent of what's going on is attributable to them, would you think? This is like 90 percent? Well, let's, let's be clear about one thing. There's no question that the damage and suffering is much greater on the side of the Palestinians than it is on the side of the Israelis, because Israel is a much more powerful country. My point is, the blame for that suffering is Hamas. Right. Okay. They, yeah. Israel shields its civilians. Hamas uses civilians as shields. And so I, I point the finger at them. Okay. Now, let's talk about the media. And let's talk about it. I want to talk about it in an American way that might inform the Israeli-Palestinian context. On Tuesday, I was in Minneapolis visiting my mother for the first time in 18 months. I got to see my mom. I know, I saw it you was, guys hugging on Instagram. Uh, it was so special. One of the great moments of my life. And a member of my congregation texted me that a group of Palestinians were caravanning around Los Angeles, or Palestinian sympathizers were car caravanning around Los Angeles, shouting death to the Jews, were throwing rocks and bottles at Jews in a restaurant. One of the Jews said, fuck you. And they got out of those cars and went into the restaurant and said, where are the Jews? And beat them up. And so when I heard about it, I immediately went to look at the television in my sister's house where I was staying. I looked at CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, PBS, all of it. Nothing. Not a word. And now they've started three days, four days later. Now, why not a word? 
Why nothing? I'll tell you my theory, and this may not make me popular, but I think it's the truth. And I think American Jews should wake up to this truth. That there is hypocrisy, there is a double standard when it comes to Jews as victims, as a minority, as opposed to other minorities as victims. If there had been a caravan of 30 white supremacists waving swastikas, driving around Los Angeles, shouting death to blacks, death to blacks, death to Asians, and they drove by a restaurant and someone black said, fuck you, and they, and, and they descended on that restaurant and beat every black in that restaurant, that would have been national news in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. There would have been marches. There would have been statements from the White House. There would have been statements from Congress, left, right, and center. There would have been op-eds in the Washington Post, the New York Times, as there should be. But when the Jews are the victims, it's relatively silent. So I ask myself, where are my woke friends? Where are the people we marched with and breathed tear gas with after George Floyd was murdered? Where are my woke friends? And I think the truth of it is that it's hard for people to see Jews as victims. First, because Israel is militarily the strongest country in the Middle East. But in America, and I'm just going to be very blunt, I think it's hard for people to see Jews as victims because we are defined solely as privileged white people. So how can privileged white people be victims? They're the victimizers. We're not seen as a minority. And, you know, the excuse that's often given by people who are anti-Semitic is, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm, I'm anti-Zionist, or I'm anti-Netanyahu. Now, some of those people are telling the truth. But I can tell you, when those thugs ran into that restaurant and started beating Jews, they, they didn't say death to the Netanyahu supporters or death to the Zionists. They were shouting death to the Jews. So many people, many people, particularly on the far left and in academia and thought leaders, cloak anti-Semitism in the guise of anti-Zionism or anti-Israeli government du jour. And I'm just laying it on the line here. And I don't think it behooves American Jews or good people anywhere to deny this double standard or to look the other way. And it is a real indication of how important it is that we continue to stand up for others when their rights are trampled on. You know, I, I grew up in Minneapolis. My father's business was three blocks. My whole childhood from where George Floyd was murdered. It broke my heart. And we should continue. I mean, we, we've had a sister African-American church for 30 years with our congregation. We have to continue to build these bridges. But I think we also have to be honest with our friends when they let us down. Where were you? We needed you. When your mosque was attacked, I stood by your side. When your brother was murdered, I said his name. So I am asking all of our woke friends, when you see anti-Semitism, and you know it when you see it, say its name, say its name, 
say its name. Stand by us as we have stood by you. I love that. I feel like discrimination of any group, even if you're perceived as privileged as a community, if you're if you're discriminating a group based on who you are, that's discrimination, plain and simple. Correct. And by the so, way, more than half of the citizens of Israel are people of color. By the way, these are Jews from Arab countries who settled Israel. These are people of color. And, and I'll tell you one other thing, the lack, the silence in the national media, the only good thing I can say about it is it certainly dispels the myth and the, and the anti-Semitic trope that Jews control the media. Because if, <laughs> if, Jews, right, if Jews controlled the media, that, that, yeah, that would have been front page news. And it wasn't. And now, just now, I saw last night NBC started to cover it. It, you know, I hope, I, I don't think my, my Instagram post woke up the media, but I think that there were a few of us who pushed pretty hard to shine a light on this hypocrisy. And, and I think it, it's made a difference. But I, I don't for a moment suggest that we try to go it alone. I don't for a moment suggest that we stop standing up for others when their rights are trampled on and their hearts are broken. I'm merely suggesting we be honest with our friends when they let us down so that it doesn't happen again. What else can we do aside from trying to be open, which is very hard, by the way, to talk to people I mean, I guess you'd have to post about it as, as opposed to reaching out to individuals and saying like, hey, remember I posted about you? Can you post about me? I mean, that's, I mean, it's hard. It's like, you're, like you said, to put yourself out there and, and almost ask a favor of everybody. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use, so I got it, and now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you, and it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. I think it's important if they're really our friends. You know, when there's conflict in a friendship and it's addressed, it often creates a deeper friendship. It's very much like a marriage. So I'm talking about it and, and I want my friends to hear it. And I think it helps. 
And by the way, I'm sure there are times when I've let my friends down and wasn't quick enough to respond or didn't notice something because it didn't get the coverage it deserved. So I think we just have to have an honest conversation with each other and and then commit ourselves to holding each other as sacred going forward. So that's one thing. You know, the pandemic has hamstrung us. I know exactly what I would have done pre-pandemic in this situation. I would have reached out to our sister African-American church. We would have filled our 2,000-seat sanctuary with people of color and and the members of our congregation. The mayor would have been there. You know, we we would have had a very healing opportunity. And, And I would have been able to stand up there and say, Let's not let a disease 10,000 miles away metastasize to our community where we have worked so hard to be brothers and sisters. And that, but the pandemic has really hamstrung us to, to Instagram and social media. And it's a real problem. So that's just where we are. But hopefully, you know, we'll, we're coming out of it and we won't, you know, be there forever. I'll tell you something that I, I said yesterday to someone I think is really important for everyone listening today. I'm kind of a geek. I collect books of old sermons of rabbis from, you know, 100 years ago and to today. And in 1943, in one of those books, I read a sermon written in 1943. It was actually a high school graduation address given by a rabbi in Minneapolis named Albert Minda, who nobody's ever heard of, to an all-white all Christian high school in 1943. Now, most of the young men about to graduate would be heading off to war. Many would die. And in his speech, his speech was entitled, What Makes America Beautiful? And he observes in the speech that many countries have larger mountain ranges of purple majesty. Many. Go to Nepal. Go to the Andes in Chile. Go to Switzerland. Many countries have greater mountains of purple majesty. And many countries have larger amber waves of grain, wheat fields. He said, what makes America uniquely beautiful is when it crowns thy good with brotherhood and sisterhood from sea to shining sea. That is the American differentiator. That is the unique beauty of America. And we have to do everything we can to protect that unique, most powerful and important part of what it means to be an American. There is no other way to peace. No other way. And that's my answer. And and Tip O'Neill is right. All politics is local. Reach out to your friends. If you're a member of a church or a mosque or a synagogue, find a partner church, mosque, or synagogue to reach out to. It's very hard to demonize someone you know and care about. It's very easy to objectify someone you know nothing about. We really need each other. So we're getting all these comments from Jill Zarin in the chat. Thank you, Jill, who is saying, and other people have echoed the same sentiment. Why are other people not speaking out, both companies and I feel that a lot of people even on Instagram are afraid to speak out. That's my assessment that you that the the hatred towards Jews and the conflict around Israel and Hamas is so big that to get involved feels frightening, I think, for people. What do I you th- think? I think one could have said the same thing to Martin Luther King Jr. during the 60 civil rights marches. 
Why was he successful? Because he held America up to its own values and showed America that it was falling short of its own professed values. And I think that's what we have to do. And that's why we have to speak out. America, you are not holding true to your your stated values. Jews are a minority, a very small minority in this country, most of whom are not in the 1%, despite that anti-Semitic trope. And if you prick us, we bleed like everyone else. And if it is brotherhood and sisterhood that is uniquely beautiful about America, then speak out when your Jewish brothers and sisters are bleeding, just as we should speak out when our Palestinian brothers and sisters are bleeding and our black brothers and sisters are bleeding and our Asian brothers and sisters are bleeding. All all I ask is when you see anti-Semitism, say its name, say its name, say its name. Then, then you're being true to what makes America beautiful. So I don't think this is even just, at some level, some meta level, Zibi, this isn't about Jews. This is about our professed values and our lived values being the same. Let's not be a nation of phonies and hypocrites. And, and to, to reiterate, I must say, I think there's some classism in it as well. I think a lot of people feel like Jews are just a bunch of white privileged people. They're the problem. So who cares? I'll say it. I, I think, I think that's, an incredibly ill-informed and cruel assessment, but I think it it is an assessment that many people make. And you know, silence is our enemy. Silence is our enemy. Have you seen the video of the neo Nazis in Milan all lined up in the square saying "Heil Hitler"? No. It's like it made me sick to my stomach. My husband just showed me. It's everybody like yesterday all lined up doing this. Is this just the beginning? This is what I'm so panicked about. You know, look, all roads do not lead to Auschwitz, okay? (laughs) And Hamas is not the SS. I don't want to overstate it, okay? I do believe that anti-Semitism as a political doctrine has been rejected by the majoritarian culture of America. Now, I am concerned that there is a very different conversation going on on the far left of the Democratic Party, a very different conversation one that sees some kind of moral equivalency between the democratically elected government of Israel and the Iran-backed junta of Hamas. I'm very, I'm shocked and very concerned that some of the Democratic Party's most left-leaning representatives actually are drawing a moral equivalency. I would like five minutes in a room with them to talk about it because I, I don't understand it. And I think it's incredibly naive and ill-informed. So yeah, that's dangerous. And that's why APAC matters. And that's why educate and that's why the American Jewish Committee matters. And that's why being engaged and why your vote matters. So do I think it's the beginning of the end? No, I don't. I think America is an extraordinary and great country for Jews, unlike any other in all of our history. Frankly, you know, Zibi, if anyone ever asks you as a Jew, where and when would you like to be born in all of history? You know what I would say? Right here, right now, because we're the luckiest Jews who ever lived. You and I are the luckiest Jews who ever lived. We're free and 
you know, the question is, what do we do with our freedom? You know, there are two kinds of freedom. There's freedom from and freedom to. In America, we are free from most forms of institutionalized, politicized oppression. What shall we use that freedom to do? We should use it to uplift all, but all includes ourselves. You know those famous words of Hillel written, I think, 2011 years ago. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? It's as true today as it was then. But I, I am optimistic about the American experience and experiment. It's been an amazing country for Jews, and it still is. We need to be vigilant and keep it that way. I think we will do that, as I said before, by holding America up to its own professed standards of protecting. You know, democracy is not really about protecting the majority. The real, the real definition of democracy is a nation that protects its minorities. The majority doesn't need that protection. So, you know, we need to keep being good Americans. We need to stay engaged in the political process. And we need our friends. You know, almost all Jews in America live in only 35 congressional districts. Wow. So think about that, Zibi. What does that mean? That means we need our friends. We need friends. We cannot go it alone. We should not go it alone. So is this the beginning and end? No. Must we be hypervigilant? Yes. Is anti-Semitism the oldest of stories? Yes. And America is the one place where I believe we can transcend it. I really do. What do you think we should tell all of our kids, grandkids, people are asking? I mean, I feel like there's such a confusion now over this conflict and the sanctioning of anti-Semitism in general, which of course is not okay no matter what's going on. And nobody wants anybody to be targeted, the Palestinians, Israelis, nobody. What can we say? What can we say to our kids who maybe they don't have the bandwidth yet, but want to make a difference because they're the ones who are going to keep us, you know, on this shining sea trend. Well, the first thing is not what we say, but what we do. The first thing is let's be sure we raise proud, educated Jewish children devoted to the values of the Torah and the state of Israel. Let's let's grow happy, proud Jews. Because happy, proud Jews are the kinds of people who engage productively with others because they know who they are. And, you know, so, and expose them to Israel Take your kids to Israel before you take them to Paris or before you send them to some camp or before you take them to, you know, some national park. Take your kids to Israel. People who really go to Israel and see it for what it really is are always amazed. Always amazed. It's an extraordinary place. So that's the first thing. Raise proud Jewish kids. Take them to Israel so they know what they're talking about when they're old enough to engage and let them see you living out Jewish values. Take them to your synagogue's food pantry when you volunteer on Sunday morning, right? Take them to the march when you march with the oppressed. Show them as much as you tell them or more. Because you know, you've got, I think you have four kids, right? Last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of five. So I, I have 
some sympathy because <laughs> I know what my mother went through. You know, they may not always be listening, but they're always watching. They're always watching. And, you know, I, I have the advantage, you know, we, we talked about my book last time. I talk in the book, I talk about what I've learned from sitting with so many families to prepare them for the funeral of a loved one, listening to that stew of stories about their loved one. And Zibby, it's never the resume the kids talk about. It's never the net worth. It's never the zip code. It's never the GPA. It's never the awards. It's always the small things that that grandmother or grandfather or mother or father did with those children when they were young. That's what they remember. So what you do with your children is much more important than what you say. It creates lifelong memories and impressions that carry them forward even after you're gone. So, you know, is Israel important? Is Shabbat important? Is synagogue important? If the answer is yes in your behavior, not your words, in your behavior, I think your kids are going to turn out to be lovers of Israel and are going to be the kind of kids. This sounds self-laudatory. I don't mean it to be. I'm trying to give you an example. I was on a Zoom earlier today with a, a group called the British American Project. It's a think tank of Brits and, and Americans. And they asked me to be on a panel about the very thing you and I are discussing. And in the middle of the panel, I asked the Palestinian in London, where can I contribute to a fund for the rebuilding of Gaza. He was shocked, speechless. But I meant it. And I said, I'm not alone. My congregation will do it. Those are the things you want your children to see you do, not just hear you talk about. Take them with to the Black church, your sister church and your synagogue. You know, engage them in relationship building. And the other thing I would say that's so important is when your friends let you down, you got to talk about it. You have to let them know because that's a real friendship. And, and I think then, then your odds are, are pretty good because America is a remarkable place for Jews. Deeply flawed, much work to be done, but historically speaking, remarkable. So just to summarize, and people are asking in the chat, yes, I'm going to post this in my feed. You can all just like post it to your stories after. I will put it up on YouTube somehow once I figure out how to do that. And so don't worry about that, everybody. I will, I, I'm on it and you can forward it. What's like, what's our to-do list? And there are a lot of authors who are watching too who can use their voices for good. And what can we all do? Like give us an action plan that we can carry out step-by-step. Step. Go, please. <laughs> You know, Justice Potter Stewart was asked by the Supreme Court to define obscenity in a pornography case. And he said, I can't define it, but I know when I see it. When you see anti-Semitism, and you know it when you see it, say its name, say its name, say its name. Do not look the other way. And don't let your woke friends look the other way. That's the most important thing we can do. And to become knowledgeable, knowledgeable, if you're going to engage on this topic, and I can understand why some people would not want to, I really do. But if you're going to engage, be knowledgeable. And don't just talk. You know, there's this very important saying in the Talmud that I use a lot in my congregation. I'll just, in English, it's, it says, say little and do much. So engage with organizations doing this work, engage 
engage with others of other faiths and ethnicities, and, and be proud Jews. Be proud. It's a beautiful, value-centered, glorious tradition that we're a part of. Let's be proud of that, and let's protect it. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. That was amazing. You're amazing. We're Thank all going to keep watching what you write. I love all the statements. Keep the, keep doing them. And, you know, you are an example of what you said. You are leading by what you're doing. And yeah. so need, are you. We need a leader. No. So are you. So are you, <laughs> Zibby. Thank you for this time. And thank you to everyone who, who was watching. And let's let's all do what we can to, to love each other from sea to shine and sea. Love that. Goosebumps. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. You're Bye-bye. welcome. Bye-bye, Zibby. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 